And what's going on, guys? Kieran Hitley here from the Pocket Coach Podcast. So today's recording is actually from an event that I ran specifically for the sake of the fact that people in a specific organization that I am running, a nonprofit organization, started to shine light on the fact that this current lockdown that Auckland is going through, Level 3 lockdown, has brought up a lot of issues and challenges for people, uh, especially particularly those people that are already struggling with mental health issues, but also as well those people that aren't even realizing or recognizing that those issues are there and are starting to realize that they're there. So I hosted an event, a free event, and it went for the span of just over an hour, and we touched on how to access greater well-being by understanding the brain. We touched on uh, simple scientific breathing exercises and a very simple guided meditation and also how to meditate if you feel a bit agitated or if you feel a little bit overwhelmed, how to still be able to get into a meditative state. Uh, We also covered a couple of very practical exercises that you can utilize to help undo fear. We covered different things about neurotransmitters, hormones, uh, and a whole lot of other key things and key factors that actually contribute to your mental well-being in a very profound way. So this is, of course, a very simplified uh, version of everything that I normally cover with clients. Uh, This is sort of very surface-level stuff. However, it is still very key stuff that many people don't even realize. So very interesting stuff all on that. And I sort of bundled it into a simple uh, one-hour episode uh, for you guys And before we start, I should also mention that at about 26 minutes is when the breathing exercise and the meditation conclude. So if you're not in a place to do the breathing exercise or the meditation, definitely come back at some stage to do that. However, I recommend skipping to 26 minutes roughly for the podcast to truly begin into the details of the practices and tools that will help you. Much love. So the purpose of me jumping on today, uh, there's a couple of reasons. The main reason being uh, simply I it came to my attention that this particular lockdown here in Auckland uh, has actually brought a lot of struggle and a lot of challenges up for a lot of people. Uh, of course, many repeat challenges and struggles um, from past lockdowns as well as uh, various new challenges that might have presented themselves as well. So um especially being in this uh, Thrive organization I'm in. So I'm running, I'm rather co-owning a specific organization called Thrive. Okay, and now this Thrive organization is based around helping people that are struggling with mental health and we create circles, we create spaces where people can be heard, where people can be seen in a very safe and organic place. So uh, that's the organization I'm running now. Uh, Alongside all this, uh, we've got a Facebook community and a lot of people have voiced their struggles and their fears that have come up instantly, um, knowing that this is week ahead. Uh, Of course, I as well always wanted to um, give myself an opportunity to jump on in a live sense and in in a live way and then also present um, some really basic stuff around um, as much as, well, condense as much as I can into a small hour of mental health. why a lot of these issues are arising um, at the brain level, at the neurological level, um, and just give some practicality in terms of what people can do about this. In a very simple sense, of course, this is going to be complete. These aren't going to be complete solutions. These are, however, going to be simple tools that you can utilize to assist you on your journey as you progress, as you move forward. 
That's very important to understand. Remember that when it comes to anxiety, depression, or whatever it is that you might be struggling with, so, so important to understand that it's a massive journey. It's not just a, a simple tool, a simple pill, um, a simple whatever, right? It's it's a very complex thing, unfortunately, and it does take a, long, a, a wee while to move through this stuff. Um, and it's important to give yourself that opportunity that to of time, um, that patience as well. Um, it's very important to acknowledge the time that is required uh, when it comes to healing. So here I am today. We're going to go through a few things. Okay, we're going to go through a very simple meditation, a very um, a simple couple of breathing exercises that you can utilize. I'm going to explain why these breathing exercises work. So it's not just about doing the breathing exercise itself and feeling the benefits. It's also, also understanding why it's happening. And this will, this will really help you to integrate it as well. Uh, we're also going to talk about how to access well-being through understanding the brain. So I'm going to go, go over some very basic things that sort of occur in the brain uh, when sort of sadness arises, fear arises. And then by understanding that, it also helps you to reverse engineer that, right? So that's what's quite important when it comes to uh, being able to utilize this stuff in the future. Because it's not just about um, being able to get to A to B. It's about understanding, okay, well, how did I get from A to B? Okay, now I can get to C, D, E on my own, right? So you can utilize this information for your own benefit going forward as well, not just on that particular tool. And now we're also going to cover as well two, uh, two tools or two practices that you can utilize uh, when it comes to fear arising in your life. Okay, because fear is going to uh, really be the root cause of anxiety. Uh, as fear arises, anxiousness uh, can be a natural phenomenon for many people. So we're going to cover all that stuff in a very brief, short period of time and then get to any questions at the end. Okay. And before I jump in, I'm actually going to close my door because there's people in this house and there's a lot of people walking around. So I'm just going to see the opportunity to keep everything quiet. Alrighty. So if you all are in a place where you feel safe to close your eyes, I'd love to encourage you to take a moment to do just that. Let's close your eyes. So we're going to go through a very simple and basic breathing technique. It doesn't require you to close your eyes. However, uh, it does add to the benefit of the exercise. So this is just a simple calming breathing technique. That's usually the first thing that I introduce if I'm doing a workshop or if I'm uh, working with someone. It's just a really simple tool. So you're going to follow my uh, follow my voice as we follow a specific tempo of breathing. It's just in through the nose and out through the mouth, but the tempo is going to add to the relaxation that occurs. So you're going to start by inhaling through the nostrils. Okay, Inhaling through the nostrils is much as you can, filling the belly with air as much as you can, all the way to the top. And when you reach the top of your breath, you're just going to hold for five seconds. Three, four, five, and then exhale through the mouth. Exhale through the mouth. As you exhale through the mouth, imagine blowing through a straw and just blowing slowly, but consistently through the mouth. As you exhale fully, as you reach the bottom of your breath, the bottom of your breath, you're going to hold for five seconds, three, four, five. Now inhale through the nose slowly, 
all the way to the top, all the way to the top. Continue to inhale all the way to the top of your breath until you reach the absolute peak of it. And then you're going to take three more sips this time through the nose. Hold for five seconds. Three, four, five. Then exhale through the mouth like you're blowing through a straw. All the way to the bottom, exhaling through the mouth. And once again, just repeating what we just did, as we reach the bottom of the breath, you're actually going to exhale three more times again. Just forcing all last, all, all the rest of the air out. Four, five, now inhale through the nose. All the way to the top. When you reach the top, three more sips. Hold for five seconds. Three, four, five. And exhale through the mouth. All the way to the bottom. All the way to the bottom. And then blow out three more times. Hold for five seconds. and inhale through the nose. Continue this process in your own time, in your own tempo. Don't feel ashamed or worried if you're not quite reaching the tempo or you're not able to hold your breath as long. That's completely normal, especially if it's your first time doing breath holds like this. Just continue this for three more rounds and allow yourself to feel your body relax as you move into the exhale. And allow yourself to feel oxygenated, clear, alive as you breathe in on the inhale. As you continue this breath, I'm just going to explain a couple of reasons why this can be effective. The reason why exhaling slowly through the mouth like that can be very effective. Because when the exhale is either equivalent or longer to the inhale, we stimulate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system. Okay, So the rest and digest system, the system of safety, the system that says we're in a place of security. This enables us to feel more relaxed because we've got less stress hormone being pumped through the body. It enables us to feel a little more safe with our environment. So if any of you have heard of the 6-8-10 breath or um, the, uh, I think there's also like a 4-7-8 breath, uh, there's, there's many types of breaths where um, it'll be a specific tempo and the exhale will always be either equivalent or longer than the inhale. That's the reason. Now, this breath can be very effective because we're doing it in a very full way. 
meaning you're getting an experience of what it feels like to be completely with no air in your lungs for a moment. It's a very beautiful experience to be able to feel safe within. And then you're experiencing what it feels like to be completely full of oxygen in your lungs. And then also remaining in a space where you're able to experience that equally to what it's like without air in your lungs. And notice the difference between the two sensations and then treat them similarly. Treat them equally. Also, as you fill your air with lungs, as you oxygenate the body, and actually, very subtly, it does drop the body's acidity as well. It allows the body to be a little less inflamed. Thus, it grants the bodies an opportunity to enter a more calmer state with a slightly lower acidity level, slightly less stress and inflammation in the system as well. So in your own time, you can open your eyes. So a very simple breathing technique that you can utilize. Um, you can even use it when you're driving. Okay, I wouldn't recommend going too deeply on it. Um, if you feel uh, a very sudden uh, change between you being in what's called more of your uh, sympathetic system, which is your fight or flight system, okay, your reactionary system. If you're in your, very strongly in your reactionary system and then you use a very calming breath like this and you shift very quickly into your parasympathetic nervous system, you feel a very sudden shift in your state and it can actually uh, be a little bit shocking in a way. Um, to uh, your brain <laughs> in the way that you might be uh, going about this, um, your current situation, whether you're driving on in your car or whether you're um, in a heavy environment of lots of people, okay? Um, the, the sudden shift in your system, you will notice it, um, it might be quite shocking. So if you're driving and you're utilizing uh, this breathing technique, it, it's helpful, but just be aware that it, um, it might present a bit of a shock to the system if you quickly come out of your sympathetic system, your fight or flight system um, in such a way. Okay, so it's a beautiful technique, but just yeah, use it when you feel um, you're in a place to do so. Um, yeah, and ideally don't go too deep when you're driving. Now, I'll take you through a simple meditation exercise. The reason why I like to do a breathing exercise prior to a meditation for many people is because I hear a, I hear a lot of people sharing about the fact that meditation isn't for them, about the fact that uh, meditation is too difficult for them they can't sit still all these different reasons right or they can't they, their mind's in the way all these different reasons right so of course I, I, we could go into the, um, uh, many tangents on as to why meditation can be beneficial for everyone um, at the deeper level and talk about all that but that's a whole nother chat on its own so we'll just leave that instead what i will share with you is a couple of ways that you can enable to enter a more easeful meditative state uh, when the mind might be agitated or when you feel you can't sit still or um, when you feel you're all over the place or when you're getting an itch on your nose all the time and you can't, you can't stop it, right? 
uh, all these different reasons can prevent people from meditating. So that's why we're going to go into a very simple meditation that will enable you to be able to calm yourself more easily. So the first thing is, of course, some sort of, sort of breathing technique. Um, I'll introduce a second breathing technique um, after the meditation. I just like to go on the meditation based off what the breathing exercise has given you, which is a sense of calmness. So in your own time, if you feel comfortable, I'd love you to close down your eyes once again. And now that we've taken time to focus on the breath, let's take some time to focus on sounds around you. And the first thing I want you to focus on is the sound that is closest to you. The sound that is closest to you outside of this audio. Okay, so not within this audio, but outside of this audio, the sound that is closest to you. And as you focus on the sound, with your eyes closed, ideally, notice the texture of the sound, the frequency of the sound, what it's like without even defining the sound or defining where it's coming from. Just focus on the sound itself. might notice thoughts come into play that's normal just focus on the sound and bring your attention back to the sound whenever your mind drifts whenever thoughts come in now see if you can focus on the sound that's furthest away from you see how far your awareness can expand See how far the parameters of your ability to hear can expand. As you focus on the sound that's furthest away, again notice the texture and the frequency of the sound. As you're sitting here in silence, focusing on sounds, take some time now and see if you can count how many sounds there are around you. How many sounds there are around you. Now this is a little extra for those that can't seem to focus on the sounds, for those that have overwhelming thoughts, that can't seem to sit still. I'm going to give you a very simple breath. That will help you to center yourself more easily. And I'll explain why after the meditation. All you're going to do is breathe very quickly in and out through the nose. <laughs> okay. Whenever you're getting extremely agitated to the point where you can't relax. Extremely agitated to the point where without using the breath technique, you can't bring yourself back to center. Speed up your breath very briefly and then allow your mind to come back to center and focus on the sounds. As for those that 
feel they can't meditate here. And then once you've counted all the different sounds around you, I want to invite you to bring your attention inward. We're going to do something called progressive muscle relaxation. It's very straightforward. You're going to focus on the muscles in your feet. The muscles in your feet, just your feet below the ankle. And I want you to tense those muscles as tightly as you can as tightly as you can, squeezing them, tensing them, tense, tense, and then relax. And then the muscles in your calves, below the knee, above the ankle, and you're going to tense as tightly as you can, tense, 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 and relax. Now the muscles in the thighs, above the knee, below the hip. You're going to tense those muscles as tightly as you can. Tense, 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 and relax. Now the muscles in your glutes and your stomach, as tightly as you can. Tense, 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 and relax. Now the muscles in your shoulders, chest, and back. You're going to tense those muscles very tightly, tense, 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 and relax. And the muscles in your arms, your forearms, even making a fist with your hands as you do this, tense, 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 and relax. Muscles in your neck. Tense your neck, tense, tense, and relax. And finally, the muscles in the back of your head and your face, even making a face as you're doing this, tense, 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 and relax. Now notice a subtle change in how your body feels once you've given the opportunity to feel actually tense the body and then relax the body and notice a difference in how the body feels from before and after maybe a subtle greater sense of lightness subtle greater sense of relaxation If you notice your mind going crazy, if you notice your emotions going, uh, turning into chaos, it's completely normal, it's completely natural, especially if you don't spend much time going inwardly. It's completely normal. So just to conclude this meditation, I want you to put one hand on your heart and one hand on your stomach. Feel as you breathe naturally in and out through the nose, whatever comes organically. And feel the rising and the falling of the belly. 
as you notice this constant exchange of carbon dioxide and oxygen as oxygen comes into your system, converts into carbon dioxide and then exhales through your system. Feeling is all that's happening without you even needing to consciously do a thing. Not a single thing. It's all happening on its own. Your body's taking care of you. Every moment, every second, every hour. And then notice the subtle pulsing of your heartbeat. It squeezes with the same tension you'd squeeze a tennis ball, yet it pumps blood through an insane network of veins. The vascular unit is so complex. It's constantly sending blood, oxygen, nutrients to every corner of your body. Keeping you alive. Constantly keeping you alive. In fact, the heart has its own intelligence. It's actually... Uh, it actually grows before the brain when you're a fetus. It actually appears before the brain when you're a fetus. And in fact, it's in constant communication with the brain. Just as the brain's in constant communication with it. It's not just a one-way street here. The heart actually has its own intelligence. It's quite beautiful. Just acknowledge that for a moment. As you feel the beat of the heart. That's always beating for you. Whether you're angry or peaceful, whether you're sad or happy, doesn't matter. It will always beat for you. And you feel you're in a place to do so, and you feel content with meditation. I invite you to slowly, in your own time, open your eyes. So recognizing the beauty of the body, recognizing the beauty of what's within us already, it's a fantastic method to find a sense of contentment, gratitude, enoughness. Now, this releases a chemical in our system called serotonin. Okay, So serotonin is uh, it's, it's a neurotransmitter, meaning it's produced in the brain, and it's a hormone, meaning it's produced in the body. Right Now, this beautiful chemical serotonin, is the chemical of enoughness, of I have enough in this moment, of I, I am enough in this moment. It's essentially the chemical of security and safety as well. Okay, So when we feel we have enough, when we feel we are enough, we feel safe and secure. Now, when there's enough of this chemical, we feel less anxious, less fearful. Okay, We feel more okay with where we are, which is profound. And that's why during a panic attack, actually, when there's a high amounts, when there's high amounts of cortisol and nor epinephrine being produced, all this stress hormone being produced. Okay, serotonin also goes up as well as a result of this because it's trying to balance everything out. Your body naturally does this on its own. Um, and it's like, oh, don't freak out that much, right? <laughs> Come back a little bit. So it produces all the serotonin and it helps to eventually calm you down. If that didn't happen, you wouldn't calm down. You'd still be in that panic attack, right? So it's the serotonin that enables the body to start to, oh, okay, 
bring the cortisol down, bring the norepinephrine down, right? and you can start start to slowly calm down. Okay. Um, now, if you can access the serotonin consciously, then you can start to uh, enter a calmer state before you start to enter uh, the agitated, uh, anxious, fearful state. Right? You can start to access that before as long as you do this consistently. Now, of course, that doesn't mean these things aren't going to happen. It does, however, they'll be likely less frequent and likely you'll be more in control of them. Okay, And you'll ideally be able to access um, that karma state sooner. Right, So it's ideal to be able to create some form of progression in some form of way, even if it's very subtle, by being consistent with these sort of practices like meditation, like breathing exercises and when people are in high agitated anxious states right sometimes these breathing exercises and these um, meditations aren't very accessible and that's completely normal and okay so i'm going to give you a second breathing technique okay technically it's the third breathing technique so i gave a second one during the meditation and the breathing technique i gave during the meditation which is a fast inhale and exhale right the okay that is specifically for people that need to quickly calm, right? And what this is doing is it's quickly actually boosting adrenaline in the body. And now that might sound counteractive because, wait, I'm getting very, very stressed. Why would I want more adrenaline in the body? That's actually going to enable, right, adrenaline in the body. So epinephrine in the body actually enables a sense of empowerment. Like I feel more in control. So believe it or not, it actually helps counteract that state a little bit more. It might be very subtle. It might be not at all. But it's worth having that tool just in case as it may or may not work for sure but it's definitely a tool that enables to boost that adrenaline very quickly in the system by getting a large amount of oxygen in the body very quickly like that okay the reason why we did what's called progressive muscle relaxation which is where you're tensing each part of the body or you can do it all at once i find it personally more effective doing it each individual part but it's up to you whatever feels right is because every time you go for a sense of relax after the tensing, you actually, your body naturally goes to a state of dropping its cortisol. It's one of the stress hormones in the body. It's the sort of long, elongated, uh, prolonged uh, stress hormone that we have in our system, cortisol. Okay, so it actually helps drop it subtly, only about by about 10% um, over the exercise, but it does drop it. And this enables a greater sense of calm as well. Okay, so these are the reasons why we do these things. Now, this, the third or second proper breathing technique, which is a calming breathing technique, is actually very simple. It's just a double inhale through the nose and a longer exhale through the mouth. That's it. Very simple. And you're going to do this three to six times. Now, this isn't a breathing technique I came up with. This isn't a breathing technique I just randomly um yeah just did one day <laughs> it's actually a breathing technique i learned from a doctor um, by the name of dr andrew huberman uh, he's a, a neurobiologist focusing on stress and vision in his lab uh, and he also looks at um, respiration as well now what he found and what he noticed is we actually already utilize this breath we already utilize this breath which i'm going to explain in a second but before we do we're just going to do that breathing technique for three rounds together and just going to see if you can feel a subtle shift in anything so two inhales through the nose exhale longer like a sigh now two more of those and then last one 
and then close your eyes or look at an object or something that's far away from you. See if you notice any shifts. If you don't, that's completely great actually because it means you're already in a calmer state probably from the meditation or the other breathing exercises. That's calm enough for this breathing exercise not to be very effective. But what you'll find is that if you are in an agitated state and you utilize this breathing technique, you'll find yourself calming very quickly. Very quickly, and here's why. Firstly, you actually already use this breath in many in many ways. One, when you yawn. Sometimes you might do the double inhale when you're crying. Okay. Here's why. When you're doing the double inhale like that, when you do the normal inhale, you're you're actually going to, yes, you're going to exhale on, when you follow with the exhale. You're going to exhale carbon dioxide, yes. But the carbon dioxide in the blood doesn't get dumped into the lungs for the exhale if you don't do the second inhale. So when you do the second inhale, you pause and you go, now blood, sorry, now the carbon dioxide from the blood gets dumped into the, and from the bloodstream into the lungs, meaning that when you do the longer exhale, the longer exhale is going to be able to dump even more carbon dioxide out of the system. Now the ratio of oxygen to carbon dioxide is improved, right? And with this improved um, ratio, okay, you're going to feel more calmer. It's going to be less inflammation um, being produced in the system, right? And you're more likely going to be more present because of that calmer state as well. So double inhale in a slow, longer mouth exhale. Okay, very simple. So I'm going to talk about a few things uh, to uh, access a little more well-being through with the brain. That's it. I, I don't like the idea of this word biohacking that people seem to use, right? We're not really hacking the brain. Hacking is like uh, getting into computer and cheating it, right? We're not cheating the brain. This stuff is already instilled in our brain, okay? <laughs> We're not cheating here. We're just accessing what's already there, okay? Now... We're going to talk about light for a second, okay? Because it's actually very important. I just went over it with um, uh, the organization that um, the nonprofit organization that I'm co-running uh, with a couple of amazing humans, um, and the call that we ran yesterday, uh, two days ago, sorry, for we're running these circles, and I just went over this information in a sort of lengthy way. I'll go over it in a very brief way with you guys. So essentially, uh, light dictates when we produce this beautiful chemical called melatonin, right? Light also dictates how much of this beautiful chemical called adenosine we also utilize. Okay, so I'm gonna talk about briefly what these two things are. So melatonin and adenosine are important for sleep. Melatonin is the instruction that it's time for sleep, I'm winding down, I'm going to get into a deep state of sleep. Adenosine is the hunger for sleep, when you feel fatigued, when you feel like you just want to go to sleep, when you're yawning lots, right? That's adenosine. Right. Now, if you're not uh, receiving enough adenosine, you're not going to feel very tired, and that's where caffeine comes in. So if you're having lots of caffeine, caffeine actually parks in the spaces that adenosine is meant to park. Okay. And that prevents all the uh, free radicals of adenosine actually parking in those spaces 
which means that you're not going to get that hunger for sleep, right? So if you have enough caffeine, that can happen. Now, of course, if you're resistant and tolerant to caffeine, uh, it means that these caffeine um, chemicals aren't exactly going to be parking in the places for very long, or they're not going to park in many places, in many spaces, okay? Because the adenosine receptors are so strongly craving that adenosine because you're much more tolerant to the caffeine. So it's basically only wanting the adenosine to come in. But if you're not very tolerant, okay, the caffeine is going to, no, with no problem at all, park in those adenosine spaces. So stimulants of any form that have some sort of caffeine or some sort of awakefulness is going to uh, shift your hunger for sleep, okay? which isn't going to be profound for being able to get a great deep sleep. Now, this is a reason why great deep sleep is very important. One, because, of course, in a rested state, your body is going to be more alive. Naturally, it's going to be more alive, right? When you're more, when you're more sleepy, you're naturally more depressive. And this isn't just depression itself. This is actually your actual system itself is depressive, more depressive than it was. Depressive meaning it's more slow. It's sluggish, right? It's not producing as many of these happy chemicals or forward momentum chemicals, right? So dopamine is basically the chemical of, yes, reward, but also forward momentum. Because dopamine is a precursor to a stress hormone, so meaning it creates a stress hormone called norepinephrine, okay? So without this like sort of uh, ability to produce this forward momentum hormone or chemical or this feeling of reward chemical, we also uh, struggle to produce a stress hormone that allows us to focus in the day. It allows us to stay consistent in the day. I wouldn't be able to talk to you guys right now if I had no norepinephrine in my brain. Okay, it's adrenaline in the brain. If I didn't have any of that, I couldn't focus on what I'm saying. I'll say two words and I'll be off with the theories, right? So if you find yourself doing that, it's very likely that you don't have um, your uh, enough dopamine and norepinephrine in the system at the moment. That can mean for many reasons, but actually the most common reason is not enough sleep or not enough quality sleep. So you might even get eight hours. But if you're getting five hours of quality sleep compared to eight hours of broken sleep, you're actually getting more benefit hormonally and chemically from the five hours of good sleep. So it's not the length of sleep as much as the quality of the depth of sleep. That's important, okay, even though the length of sleep is still important. All right. So with this in mind, the length of sleep and the quality of sleep being so important for restoring and rejuvenating our dopamine stores and our norepinephrine stores because if we don't have that quality of sleep, this doesn't rejuvenate. Therefore, we can't focus. We can't feel like we're moving forward. We don't feel motivated. We want to be lazy, right? This stuff, these habits, these build depression. These build, yes, maybe not clinical depression, but it, it does build depression in the system. It does build anxiousness in the system as well. Like, I just don't feel capable of that because I'm not motivated. I don't want to do that, right? That's a lack of dopamine. That's a lack of norepinephrine, right? So sleep is a very key thing here for us to feel motivated, on the right path, focused, etc. right? Now, this is what we do to continue to profoundly get and improve our sleep, is to focus on the profoundness of light. When you go outside and get a whole lot of bright light in your morning, ideally, hopefully you do this already. If you don't, I highly encourage it as first thing in the morning when you do wake, is to actually get outside and look towards where the sun is rising or when the sun is risen. And this is why. Okay, and I don't mean just to sear your irises, not to burn your irises. You can actually do that, so please don't do that. Um, <laughs> but for a minimum of t two minutes, okay, this is actually going to uh, trigger the receptors in your eyes, okay? Your retinal neurons are going to be triggered um, based on the amount of light that is coming into the eyes. Now, these neurons are in contact with what's called an op the optic nerve in the eye. Okay, so the optic nerve 
um, is basically the nerve that is connected to all these sort of neurons in your eyes, okay, that's sort of receiving all this light from outside. Now this, this nerve itself is connected as well to, it's a very long name, so you don't need to remember it, it's called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, okay, um, again, like you don't need to remember this, it's a crazy name. Now the suprachiasmatic nucleus is your, what's what we can call the body clock, or it's in charge of your circadian rhythm, okay, your circadian rhythm for those that know that name, great, okay. Um, but essentially, it's just your body clock, your 24-hour body clock. Circadian is really by the day, okay? So there's also your ultradian rhythms, which is sort of like your 90-minute cycles of sleep. It's various other cycles, your eating cycles, all this different stuff, but don't worry about that stuff. Your circadian rhythm is what we're going to focus on, okay? Because this is what dictates when your melatonin and adenosine start to work, all right? And this is what's going to allow you and enable you to gain a greater, deeper sleep, all right? Now, first thing in the morning, when you get at least two minutes of bright light outside, believe it or not, if you're inside and you're looking at it, the sun through the window, it actually decreases the amount of light you're receiving through your eyes by 50, five zero times. Believe it or not, it might even feel as bright, but it's not. Because there's less lux, which is a measurement of light getting through the windows. When there's less light getting through the windows, you're not going to stimulate the suprachiasmatic nucleus as strongly, right? Because you're not getting as much brightness through. And this is why this is important, because back in primitive times, we didn't have clocks, we didn't have watches, right? We didn't have time um, by the measurement. All we had was the sun. All animals, all animals, even snakes, okay? They have a freaking hole in the top of their head <laughs> that receives light and tells them, oh, it's daytime, right? Even owls use light, right, to indicate, oh, it's time for sleep because it's daytime. Oh, it's time for wakefulness because it's nighttime, right? So even owls use this. All animals that uh, do have some capability of receiving light uh, will be able to utilize this. And of course, I'm sure that um, I'm not sure about other animals, right? I don't know much about this stuff on that side. But I'm sure other animals do have their own system of figuring things out in terms of um, when to produce certain chemicals in the body and all that sort of thing. But I'm very well aware of the light side of things. Now, when you do get that two minutes of sun first thing in the morning, bright light. Okay, again, overhead light, very minimal lux, even though it feels as bright as the sun, it's not, trust me. Okay, get outside, look at look towards the sun. You actually tell your system in 12 to 14 hours time, it's time to produce melatonin. Okay, so in 12 to 14 hours time, it's time to produce melatonin, and therefore that's going to be the time that I'm going to wind down for sleep, and I'm going to be able to get into a deeper sleep. Now, if you're not getting bright light early in the morning, and it's much later in the day, and you get bright light, it means that melatonin is less likely to produce in uh, the quantity that we want it to do before sleep, which means that it's going to be harder to get to sleep, it's going to be harder to get into a deep state of sleep, and it's more likely to be broken, a lighter sleep, all that sort of stuff, right? So when you see light first thing in the morning, also the second point of time when you can utilize this light is in the evening as sun sets. In the last one to two hours of sun uh, that there is in the sky, there's going to be sort of like more of a blue-yellowy contrast in the sky than there is when there's during the day. This contrast itself, we actually, again, it sends a signal to the brain when we see this light that, oh, okay, this is now the time when we're going to start to um, actually trigger the wind down very soon because we can notice that the sun is setting. It's the end of the day. It's again sending that signal to the suprachiasmatic nucleus, right, that it's time now to start to wind down. It's time now for the end of the day. So... Utilizing the sun in this sort of way is actually really profound. It's very primitive. It's very deeply ingrained into our neurology uh, that this stuff really, really is important. 
So if you're constantly in the evenings now, um, uh, you can get the sun or some of the sun set in some way, whether you're just sort of looking at over the trees or over the buildings, fantastic, you can enlighten. Just get outside for that too. Now, bright light late in the evenings. Of course, it's going to be impactful. Well, I've just explained to you, right, how light during the day is so impactful to your system. Now, you're actually more receptive to light late in the evening. You're more sensitive to light late in the evening, which is why that if you're inside and you've got bright overhead lights indoors as you're inside after sunset, that's also going to delay the onset of melatonin. It's going to delay how much um, um, it's going to delay the amount of the quantity of melatonin that we want um, in the system and the brain to say it's time for deep sleep. So no bright lights overhead. Ideally, um, use a lamp light or a candle light or even just really low dim lights when it's overhead. Um, just try not to utilize too much bright light in the evenings as well. Um, of course, screens. Um, that's another thing. Of course, um, you want that light to be as low as possible. If you have blue blockers, fantastic. Do not use those in the day, please. Okay, that's not going to be very helpful in the day. Actually, it can be can be um, inhibitory during the day. That's actually not beneficial. Um, but late in the evening, they can be helpful if you've got these blue blockers or these glasses that people wear. It basically blocks up blue light for those that don't know. So. Um, you can utilize those, which is great, um, but I do recommend, um, yeah, just ideally dimming your screens, um, utilizing night mode, okay, many screens have the opportunity to use night mode, so orange light um, or blue blockers if you've got them, fantastic, right, but try to minimize screen time, of course, especially in the last 30 minutes to an hour before sleep, ideally, okay, now that's on sleep, okay, um, and of course, with all of this, once you've got everything aligned and you're doing this for a minimum of three days, um, everything does start to balance out. You start to feel more energy. You start to feel more rested as well after your sleep. Uh, you start to feel more clear-headed. And of course, you start to feel more focused because you've got more dopamine and norepinephrine in your system, right? So all the stuff is yeah very important on that side. Now, I'm going to give you a, very, um, a couple of very simple techniques that is also going to help you to find a greater sense of calmness and relaxation throughout your day. And you can just use these constantly throughout the day. Okay, the first is actually based on sight. Now, we've already talked about sight a little bit with the light. And this is just simply utilizing distance as much as possible with sight. So what, all I want you to do just for a moment is take a moment and stare at something that is very, very far away. Okay, very, very far away. It can be anything, it can be the sky, clouds, it can be a tree, it can be the horizon, it can be anything. And then as you pay attention to the sensations in your body, if you look back to your screen, you may or may not notice this. If you're very in tune with your body, you will, more likely. If you're not, and that's okay, right? Then you might not. But what actually happens is there's a sensation shift in your body when you go from looking at something very close to looking at something that's very far away. There's a subtle shift in sensation. And this is what it is, and this is why. When you're in close proximity with things, okay, and you're actually um, really focused on something, right, you narrow your field of vision. You become very focused. When you're focusing on something very far away, you enter a state of what's called panoramic vision. Panoramic vision. So panoramic vision is a vision state where you start to see things in a larger picture. You're less focused on one particular um, focal point, right? You're sort of more widespread in terms of your vision of what you can see. Now you can actually access this if you're even in close proximity and you don't have any windows. If you look at the screen now, I want you to enter panoramic state without even looking at something far away. This is how you're going to do it. You're just going to start to notice, okay, the body below you, the roof above you, the walls next to you, 
without changing your vision, without actually changing your focal point, you can start to expand your vision outward. And then you can bring it back inwardly and then focus on something that's very narrow, right? And then you can expand it again and you can bring it back in and focus on something very narrow. So you can constantly manipulate your vision like that. It's pretty fantastic. We can do that consciously, right? Pretty beautiful. We're very, very in control of our system. Now, this is what it does. When we're very focused on something, we produce more norepinephrine, that focus chemical in our system, right? We produce more cortisol, okay, the stress hormone, because we've got something that we need to do. We've got a task at hand. That's basically the instruction we're sending our body, which is why if we're constantly looking at screens all day, right, if we're constantly sitting at our desk, if we're constantly in four walls, of course we're going to be more high stress in our system than we could if we've got the opportunity to enter more of a panoramic state, right? So if you're an office worker or if you're indoors most of the day, I'd highly encourage to either at least look out the window every 30 minutes, right? Or if you don't have windows, then just expand your vision. Now you already know how to do that. And what this does is it sends a signal to your system, I'm safe, I'm actually okay, I don't have anything in my close, proxim in close proximity to me that could harm me, right? So if you imagine primitive times, if someone is out in a big field and uh, they've got nothing around them that they need to look at specifically, of course they're gonna feel safe. But if all of a sudden a tiger jumps in uh, and you know is just on the horizon and they're really focused on that tiger, of course they're gonna feel more stressed because they're really deeply focused on something. So that's why this whole stress chemical comes into play when we're very focused on something. is because, oh, that's something that's important to do, to look at, it could potentially be a threat. So that's when we're very, very, very focused on something. But when we expand our vision, it puts us in that parameter that we're actually in a safe space. So therefore our system can come. Okay. So getting panoramic vision very frequently throughout the day is very important as well. Okay. Now, another simple technique that you can utilize and we'll um, get onto the fear thing. Um, I'm realizing quickly that I'm running out of time. I've got 10 minutes left on this, but I'm going to try condense as much as I can here. So the other thing as well is um, that you can utilize is turning into your sensory organs, okay? So your sensory organs are always present, always working as well, okay? Um, without even realizing um, every single sen sensory organ in your body, right? So taste, sight, smell, sound, right? And um, sight? I can't remember which ones I said, <laughs> but you know the five sensory organs. Um, essentially, these are always operating, right? You're always taking in smells without even recognizing the smells, unless there's something very strong, like, oh, I smell cookies, right? <laughs> so when something's very strong, of course you're going to notice it because it triggers certain neurons in your brain. It's like, oh, there's something important, right? But otherwise, those neurons won't get triggered and it's always taking in smell without you recognizing, which is why when you reflect on a situation, you might think, oh, yeah, I, um, like, I remember I smelt that thing, but maybe in the moment you didn't smell it. Or when you reflect on a moment and you reflect on like the cicada noises that are outside my house, right? right? I might have not even been conscious of those cicada noises in the moment, but when I reflect on them, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember there were cicada, no cicada noises when I, was, um, when I was in that situation back then or whatever. So you might notice those subtle things like that every now and again, or you might have like this experience of, um, oh, I think I've tasted that before, but you don't remember um, because you don't remember consciously the time that you tasted, but you had that taste in your mouth, um, you know, maybe a year back or two years back unconsciously and you didn't even know it was there. But your system's always operating with these five senses, always. So when we tune into these, we become much more present because they're always operating, right? 
And it's interesting, this actually moves into touch. Thank you, someone on Instagram just said touch. Yeah, that was the piece I missed. <laughs> um, so these are always operating, right? Our sensations are always operating. Now, sensations are going to be dictated by our experience, right? And this is sort of how the brain starts to work. It's very interesting. I'm going to explain this. Okay, so first of all, for anything to happen, whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's happiness, whether it's an action we take to respond or react, okay? All this happens literally in a split second in the brain and body without us even realizing. There's an experience that happens, okay? Let's just say... Um, there's an itch on your foot, okay? Now, if I get you to focus on the sensation at the sole of your feet, you're going to notice sensation at the sole of your feet straight away. That sensation was always occurring. It's not because I just said sensation on the sole of your feet, but boom, like the sensation wakes up. No, that's always occurring. Always, even in your sleep. But the, when, you, when, I, when I say sensation on the sole of your feet, you focus on the sole of your feet. That's perception. So there's experience. Okay, which is something occurs in terms of the chemical reaction that's on your feet. Or maybe you touch something with the sole of your feet that feels a bit weird, right? That's the experience, right? The sensation is a feeling itself that occurs. The perception is you focusing on that. Now, based on those three, three things that occur, experience, sensation, perception, a thought is triggered. So it sends a signal to our brain and the first thought that comes to mind is going to be the reactionary thought, right? The thought that is programmed into our brain already. So that thought might be, oh, there's an itch. Oh, there's something weird on my foot, right? That could be, that's the first thought that occurs. Now, based on that thought, a chemical reaction we call a feeling occurs. So that's the feeling that we get in our body. That's different from sensation. Sensation is not feeling. Sensation is that sort of chemical reaction that's occurring. The feeling that we get is the emotion that occurs. So that emotion might be, um, an emotion of frustration, an emotion of irritation, an emotion of um, anger, or it could be anything, right? I hope that you don't get angry because you've got it natural on your foot. But um, whatever that feeling is, that's going to propel you forward. Okay, and that means you're going to take action. If it's irritation, you're going to be like, oh, that's itchy, right? You're going to itch your foot, right? You act based on the feeling that you get. It's not act and then you feel. It's the, the feeling that you get. You don't even recognize it a lot of the time, but you're acting based on the feeling you get. Okay. Now, this is all programmed in your system based on childhood experiences, based on actually hereditary reasons. Um, yes, this is actually a genuine thing. Um, it, can, it can be based on um, experiences that you've had recently in your life. It can be based on many things, right? Now, with all this occurring, understanding that this all happens in a split second, it can be very hard to actually consciously respond to situations we used to we used to react in, right? But if we learn to be more present in our body, if we learn to be more conscious in the moment, we can actually break this pattern because we're human beings. We have the opportunity to change the way we be. Okay, that's what we call human beings. Right? Um, it means that we are now in a place where, when a sensation occurs, that thought comes into mind. We get that feeling. We can choose to respond to the feeling differently than we have in the past by simply being able to learn to be with the feeling for a moment, to not react straight away, to not act based on my emotions. I can take a moment to pause. I can do the breathing technique um, that I just went over with you. Um, like I can uh, take a moment to close my eyes and feel the emotion fully. And what this actually does is as I sit with the emotion, I'm actually getting into the um the technique that you can utilize for fear. So say it's a fear emotion that comes into play because something, an experience has happened outside of me 
that say my partner broke up with me, okay? That's like a lot of fear or my partner may or may, or may not break up with me, right? A lot of fear comes into my system. So the experience happens, sensation, which is a sound that she might be saying or the thing that I might be seeing, that's a, the sensation, the perception is me focusing on that, right? The thought occurs based on what I focused on, which is, oh, my partner could break up with me, right? The feeling of fear gets produced in the body based on the chemical reaction the thought, the, the thought creates. Now, areas in my brain trigger, okay? So this particular area in the brain called the amygdala, which is a fear region in the brain, gets triggered. It's like, oh, there's danger, there's threat, right? Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm awake, right? That's what the amygdala does. And when that's awake, when that's triggered, this, um, this amygdala basically sends us into a state called fight or flight, okay? So entire, if you remember me talking about the sympathetic and parasympathetic, don't worry about the names, system occurs, okay, the sympathetic wakes up, the fight or flight system wakes up, and now we're in a state where we can only do one of three things. Fight, freeze, or flight. Not very helpful if we want to solve a situation consciously, okay? Helpful if we've got a tiger in front of us and we need to run away. Helpful if we've got a meal in front of us and we need to hunt it, right? But not helpful for any other reason, right? So fight, freeze, or flight isn't going to help us to solve a situation consciously. It's only going to help us to actually react to situations based on situations that we've done, that we've gone about before. And of course, if... Uh, if we're acting out of fear and we're actually acting out of emotion, it's likely that the previous situations we reacted to and the previous ways we've reacted uh, haven't served us in a positive way. So it's probably not going to be beneficial to act straight away. What's going to be more beneficial is to come to a place where I sit there with the emotion. I sit there and I learn to calmly sit there with the emotion. And over time, interestingly, even though it's fear itself and it's the fear region of the brain that's active, as I sit with whatever emotion gets produced, a beautiful thing happens. Over time, that emotion eventually, over time, starts to not trigger this amygdala part of the brain as much. Because the brain recognizes this emotion as safe. The reason why the amygdala gets triggered and the whole fight or flight system gets triggered is because the emotion doesn't feel safe. The emotion, I'm used to this emotion, right, meaning that I'm going to be in danger. I'm used to this emotion, meaning that I'm going to be unsafe and, I'm, and there's a threat in front of me. But when I learn to sit there with the emotion and I learn to change my relationship with the emotion, that part of the brain, the amygdala, starts to quieten and I feel calm, I feel more conscious, I feel more clear, I'm able to navigate my life a little bit more easily. Okay, So that's a simple sort of technique that you can utilize, but um, you can just you know, ideally utilize that consistently whenever things come up within you. Noticing the feeling, take a few deep breaths and... Be a little bit more present with the feeling. It's a fantastic method you can use. Now, the technique I was going to utilize for more presence is just this with your sensory organs. Okay, I want you to. I know I'm going back and forth. I'm trying to. I'm just racing through this. Um, I'm going to encourage you to tune into your sensory organs, right? And tune into them in as some sort of order. So, for example, you might tune into your sight. Okay, what are three things I see? You might tune into sound. What are three things I hear? Turn into smell, three things I smell, taste, three things I taste, touch, what are three things I can touch and get the texture of, okay? Now, the reason why you do this is because, you, again, your sensory organs are always operating and they're always here in this moment. Now, your mind might drift to moments that represent the future, moments that represent the past. Yes, your mind might drift to that. But no matter what, your, your body is always here, right? Your mind technically is always here, but it's thinking in a variation of the future, in a variation of the past, right? But it's, it's always here technically. But if we want to be really present, right, we turn into our sensory organs. Excuse the Instagram live. This is going to, you guys are going to end soon. Um, but 
I'm going to continue on the Zoom call. If you're interested on the Zoom call on my Instagram, uh, you can go to my Instagram, look at the, um, go onto my profile and you can swipe up on my story and there you will find the rest um, on that. There'll be a Zoom link that you can access where I'll, I'll probably go for another 10 minutes on the Zoom link if you guys hopefully have that time for that. So with the sensory organs, you can utilize that to access more presence and more sense of safety. Okay, because once you access a more present moment, you come away from the chaos that's in the mind, which is fantastic. Another great thing that you can do when you're accessing the sensory organs as well is focus on the things that you see on your right, the things that you hear on your right, and the things that you smell on your right. And then focus on the things that you see, hear, and smell on your left, and then back to your right, and then back to your left. And what you'll notice is that your eyes start to do a lateral excuse me, a lateral movement, right? So you start to look to your right, you start to look to your left. This is called EMDR or eye movement desensitization reprocessing, okay? This is actually a fantastic method as well to um, calm the system because when we start to look from left to right, it sends a signal, to, I'm not sure exactly in the primitive reason, honestly, I'm, I'm not actually too sure, but it does send a signal to our brain stating that we're in a safe state we're in a safe place, we can relax now, right? So MDR is a method that is actually an actual therapy that is utilized um, by um, various psychologists and psychiatrists in, in many different ways. It's a great way to help people overcome trauma, believe it or not. Um, I don't use, utilize this myself with clients, but it is a fantastic method to um, actually stimulate a deeper sense of presence and okayness in the moment that you're in by tuning into your sensory organs and utilizing EMDR, lateral movements in the eye. Now, the final uh, tool for fear, because I know I bounce back and forth, we've already covered one. The second tool for fear is something that's called safety nets. Okay, So safety nets are fantastic. We actually apply them already unconsciously and subconsciously without even re realizing that we're doing it. An example of this might be, when I feel really stressed, I don't eat. When I feel really stressed, I eat chocolate, right? When I feel really stressed, I look at my phone. When I feel really stressed, I talk to that person. When I feel really stressed, I get into bed and, and, like, and curl up into a ball, right? Whatever that reaction is, that's your safety net. You're already applying unconsciously or subconsciously. I might drink alcohol, I might take drugs, I might smoke weed, I might vape, right? Whatever that is, that's your reaction to the situation too. And that's your safety net that you've already applied unconsciously. If you apply safety nets consciously, on the other hand, this is really powerful and effective. And this is what you're going to do. Okay. This is an um, idea or the saying that I want you to bring to your mind. And it's going to enable you to find safety nets consciously. So you don't need to apply them unconsciously because unconscious safety nets are very likely detrimental. Or it just simply means that you can't face what is um, the current threat or the current problem that's in your life, meaning you can't create full momentum with it. Right? It's just simply avoiding it. So conscious safety nets are like this. If X happens, I still have A. If X happens, I still can do B. Or if X happens, I get the opportunity to do C. An example, this is the easiest example I can think of, is breakups, right? Because it's a common theme in many people's lives. Um, you know, breakups, if um, if I'm very fearful of a breakup occurring, I might get a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear that comes into play, right? Now, my my the way that I go about uh, the fear that arises, okay, um, if I react to that fear, 
it's very unlikely that I can create new solutions, do new actions, and create a new result. But if I respond to the fear, I can take new actions because I'm not in a fight, freeze, or flight state. I can create new result because I'm taking new actions, right? So the way to do this is, um, and the way to navigate these situations more consciously and with more clarity is by applying safety nets, okay? This is a great sort of way to start to initiate a calmer, um, a calmer way to approach certain situations. And say someone was, um, I, th- I, saw, I saw someone, um, I saw my partner and they were acting strange and I had these thoughts, oh, she might break up with me, right? All this sort of stuff goes on in my head and I get the feeling of fear that comes into play. If I come to a safety net of, um, even if she breaks up with me, uh, I now get the opportunity to uh, watch more of the series that I love. For me, it's anime, right? I absolutely love anime, right? I get more time to watch my anime, right? Great, okay. Or if she breaks up with me, then I actually get more opportunity to work on this organization, on this business, on this project that I've always wanted to spend more time on. I actually get that, right? Or if she breaks up with me, I actually get the opportunity to go dating again. That's just quite beautiful. I get to explore that um, that side of life again. That's quite beautiful, right? By looking at different potential safety nets, that doesn't mean that you're actually going to love that person less. doesn't mean you're not going to um, you know, be as compassionate to that person, um, be less compassionate to that person or anything. It doesn't mean any of that. It just simply means you're applying safety nets in place in case the worst case scenario happens, you've got that cushion. Now, that isn't for the sake of having the cushion. It's actually for the sake of you feeling at ease because you've got the cushion. If you have that cushion, you will feel more at ease, which means you can navigate the situation more calmly. And you can more likely actually probably succeed in what you're trying to create with a relationship more likely and more consciously simply because you are in a more conscious state. You're in a less reactive state. Therefore, you're able to respond to the situation with more ease and more clarity, okay? That's the purpose of the safety nets. So you can apply this to any situation, whether it's a monetary reason, financial reason, right? Whether it's a, um, a, a friendship, a, a romantic relationship, a conversation you're about to have, okay? A business meeting, anything, okay? So that's what safety nets are for. Whew, I think that's everything. So I know I just... Um, mumbled and jumbled a whole lot of different stuff um, there was a whole lot of stuff there um, but um, I'm glad that Instagram live is still operating I never realized it went over an hour so that's great um, but essentially in conclusion all right um, we'll go in questions in a second but I'm just going to conclude um, yeah my name is Kieran Headley um, I'm an anxiety and mental health coach uh, if you are looking for any assistance I first of all have a nonprofit called Thrive okay me and two other fantastic humans are operating this organization called Thrive. Uh, and basically, it's um, it's located here in Auckland. If you're in Auckland, you can, you can get access to free sharing circles, which is beautiful, right? And everyone loves a, um, a solid sharing space. And um, it's not like AA meetings. It's actually more um, alongside um, an experience of being able to share um, what's deeply occurring within yourself um, and be heard, be acknowledged without needing someone to give you feedback Without, need, um, without being in a space where someone is going to tell you what to do. It's just simply a place to be heard. So it's very beautiful. Um, but also, it's also a community that's online as well where there's constant support there as well. It's called Thrive. And if you're interested, you can search Thrive Organization. Organization for if there's any Americans on here. Organization is with an S, not a Z. Okay. Um, so substitute the Z for an S and you'll find Thrive Organization there. Um so that you can um, access a free community now. 
that's the first thing I wanted to share. Uh, the second is that, as I said, I am a coach. Okay, I'm, I'm actually going to run both um, some one-on-one work as well as um, some group work that's more affordable and adherable for people uh, that can't afford the one-on-one work. Okay, I wanted to put in that place. Um, that's, the, that's the first time I've ever, ever run something like this. It's the cheapest thing I've ever run, actually, to be honest. Um, but it's basically to make things more adherable and accessible uh, for people that are in a financial struggle, especially because it's COVID situation, right? It means that over a prolonged period of time, we work at anxiety and depression at a deeper level. Okay, so that's also something else. If you're interested in that, you can contact me. Um, if you're interested in that, you can also find my website, www.healingwithkiz, kiz is K-E-Z, healingwithkiz.com. Right. Or you can just contact me through Instagram or whatever, right? Great. Now, the... Uh, final thing I wanted to share is I have a free ebook, completely free. It's basically the science of anxiety and depression. I just go over a few things, a couple of things I mentioned here, but actually it's just a whole lot of other stuff that I probably haven't even talked about um, in, as, in terms of as to why anxiety and depression occur at, at the deeper level. So that's also um, there as well. Uh, you can find it on my website as well and healingwithkids.com. You can find that there for free. Thank you for turning into the Pocket Coach Podcast, guys. I appreciate it all as always. Um, I, I really do. And it really serves us. It really serves the Pocket Coach. If you do take just a moment simply to rate uh, the podcast, uh, to give it um, whatever rating you feel uh, fits this podcast, I'd appreciate any rating, especially reviews, and especially as well sharing these episodes uh, with others it honestly helps the podcast immensely and enables us to reach more people and enables us to help more people which is the purpose of this podcast so if you really feel that you want to help this podcast to reach more people if you feel that this stuff will also benefit others uh, then you also um, have an opportunity to have a part in helping that person or helping other people if you share it on your social uh, in a further and deeper way by getting this content more out there with uh, for us so, you know, that would be much appreciated anyway. I really hope that you have an absolutely beautiful day. May you find all the peace and happiness that you have available to you because you deserve that much. You absolutely do. And uh, lots of love. I'll see you in the next episode. Save.